Section 6 of Global Trends 2030, Alternative Worlds, by National Intelligence Council. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Patrick McAfee, Merritt Island. Chapter 2, Part 2. Countries with a Democratic Deficit. A democratic surplus is said to exist when a country's level of democratization is more advanced than its level of development. When democracy is present in the very poorest countries, India seems to be an exception, and autocracy exists in the most developed countries, those with not just high income but high educational attainment, those countries are unstable. Regions that have somewhat higher levels of democracy than we might expect, and therefore may be at some risk of reversal, include Sub-Saharan Africa, Latin America, and the Caribbean and South Asia. A democratic deficit is said to exist when a country's developmental level is more advanced than its level of governance. Democratic deficits are tinder that might be ignited by various sparks. Our modeling, based on the International Futures model, highlights many of the Gulf, Middle East, and Central Asia countries, Qatar, the UAE, Bahrain, Saudi Arabia, Oman, Kuwait, Iran, Kazakhstan, Azerbaijan, and Asian countries such as China and Vietnam. This set of countries is very different from the usual suspects lists provided by indices of state fragility or failure. These are not countries in which instability has manifested itself in violence or breakdown of public services. Most of the standard indices of vulnerability do not include any measure of repression or institutional incongruity, which almost certainly is a weakness. Those countries with high levels of a democratic deficit, such as China and Gulf countries, present great risks because of their systemic importance to the international system. Under most scenarios, China is slated to pass the threshold of U.S. $15,000 per capita, PPP, in the next five years or so. This level is often a trigger for democratization, especially when coupled with high levels of education and a mature age structure. Democratization is often accompanied by political and social disruptions. Many experts believe a more democratic China would unleash growing nationalistic sentiment, at least in the short to medium term, increasing already existing tensions with China's neighbors. Over the longer term, as rule of law institutions become more rooted and the political system stabilizes and is perceived as non-threatening, Chinese soft power could be boosted. China's successful transition to democratization could increase pressure on other authoritarian states as well as further burnish China's economic development model as long as democratization did not permanently stem China's economic growth. Quote, the exponential increase in data combined with emerging capabilities to analyze and correlate it will give unprecedented capabilities to individuals and connected networks in nearly every part of the world well before 2030, end quote. Several Gulf and Middle Eastern countries might be able to provide the economic well-being and lack of overt violent repression that can hold back pressures for political change, as does Singapore today. It is very unlikely that many or all will. Although most risk analysis is heavily focused on Africa, the prominence of Middle Eastern countries, especially given the substantial dependence of the world on energy from the region, points to the need for continued attention on these Middle Eastern countries during the next 15 to 20 years. A number of Central Asian countries are on the democratic deficit list, or close below the top 20. More generally, the region is another area beyond Sub-Saharan Africa, where countries other than Afghanistan and Pakistan in South Central Asia or South Asia 
seldom make the highest positions on risk lists when perhaps they should. Closing the governance gap. Governance level, subnational. Present status, spread of new communications technologies has broadened individuals' sense of community, bridging national, regional, ethnic, and gender divides. More networks of cities are shaping policy debates and leading national and even global responses to governance challenges. Trendline. Cities will tap into growing public calls for more local control and decentralized government. Drivers. Some global cities will overshadow their central governments. Well-run cities will manage resources effectively. Less efficient ones could fuel instability. Governance level. National. Present status. The governance gap is most pronounced at the domestic level. Currently, 50 countries are in the awkward range between autocracy and democracy. Highly developed East Asian and Middle Eastern Gulf countries have a democratic deficit, a style of governance that does not match their economic levels. Trendline. Many countries are primed to move toward greater democracy by 2030, but the process is often destabilizing. China's democratization would have immense repercussions. Drivers. Rapid economic development, inasmuch as it leads to greater per capita income and higher educational levels, often accelerates democratization. A high correlation also exists between more mature age structures and a country's ability to achieve full democracy. Governance level. Regional. Present status. All regions have made great strides in regional institution building, but integration has progressed at varying speeds and levels of comprehensiveness. Trendline. The likely growth of intra-regional trade points to greater regional integration. Whether a regional collective security order can be established, particularly in Asia, is less clear. Drivers. Continuing distrust in economic competition and jockeying is likely to limit the extent of sovereignty sharing. Governance level. Multilateral institutions. Present status. Many are questioning their legitimacy because they do not reflect the changing economic hierarchy. Trendline. Even if global institutions better mirror the changing power setup, whether they can tackle growing global challenges is unclear. Drivers. A new concert among newer and established powers would enhance the workings of institutions and their effectiveness in tackling global challenges. New technologies. Shifting roles of citizen and state. The spread of IT use will give individuals and groups unprecedented capabilities to organize and collaborate in new ways. Networked movements enabled by IT already have demonstrated the capacity for disruption and the ability to quickly draw global attention to the need for political and social change. IT use enables individuals to organize around shared ideas in the virtual world and carry out sustained action. Sub-Saharan Africa, rural India, and other traditionally isolated regions are being globally connected with positive economic impacts. Social networking will continue to be a potentially potent political weapon. The pressure of social networks, particularly on governmental power, almost certainly will grow even stronger. The fact that the immense choices on the internet have not always led to a broadening of perspectives, but rather to a narrowing, points to a potentially negative impact on social networking, such as increasing partisanship and nationalism. The exponential increase in data, combined with emerging capabilities to analyze and correlate it, will give unprecedented capabilities to individuals and connected networks in nearly every part of the world well before 2030. The use of IT will accelerate due to three projected trends. 
a 95% drop in computer memory costs, a reduction in raw data storage costs to one hundredth of the current price, and a network efficiency increase by more than a factor of 200. In addition, four technological developments will provide individuals and groups with new capabilities as the use of IT proliferates. Development one, the shift to cloud architecture will improve utilization rates of computing infrastructure and optimize network use. The cloud also will put increased computing capability and meaningful analysis in the hands of 80% of the world's population. Development two, mobile devices are becoming increasingly rich sensor platforms, enabling nearly all communication mediated by technology to be tracked and analyzed at a fine level of detail. More than 70% of the world's population already has at least one mobile device. Global mobile data traffic in 2010 was three times the size of the entire internet in 2000. By 2015, only three years away, in Sub-Saharan Africa, Southeast Asia, South Asia, and the Middle East, more people will have mobile network access than with electricity at home. Development three. Cheap digital storage means nearly all data will be archived indefinitely. Information will be smart about itself, indexed, categorized, and richly tagged upon collection so that it can be easily analyzed later. Development four. Bots. Programs that run automated tasks in the internet-connected world could become as prevalent as robotics in the industrial world. Although bots are best known for their use in hacking and disruptive activities, they can be used for any purpose. When combined with massive data, bots could manage complex and persistent tasks on behalf of individuals and networked groups. This new environment of widespread and enabled IT use also will benefit illicit networks involved in crime, terrorism, human and drug trafficking, and the theft of intellectual property. IT devices will play an increasing role in the fight against corruption and government malfeasance and incompetence. However, at least for the moment, such illicit activities are outstripping the capabilities of most countries and multilateral institutions to contain them. An empowered statecraft? The new expanding IT architectures and their use, whether by individuals and networks or states, are not deterministic. Governments and other traditional political institutions have the capacity to adapt and gain influence and clout. Connective technologies will give governments, both authoritative and democratic, an unprecedented ability to monitor their citizens. If threats and challenges to state control escalate, IT use in statecraft presents opportunities for middle and emerging powers to project soft power and increase their influence through new IT-enabled strategic communications relative to bigger countries. Over time, many experts we consulted believe that by 2020 or so, governments could begin to constrain the most threatening illicit activities by adapting their use of IT and partnering with non-state actors and networks. Countries could root out the most threatening actors by going after places and organizations that support illicit activities. The 30 corporations that control around 90% of internet traffic represent choke points that could be used to enforce bans on illicit activity. Quote, both sides agreed that the characteristics of IT use increased the potential for more frequent discontinuous change in the international system. End quote. Experts do not know how the balance will be struck between greater IT-enabled individuals and networks and traditional political structures. In our interactions, technologists and political scientists offered widely divergent views. Political scientists remain skeptical of IT-enabled alternatives to state power, 
while technologists viewed the IT as a global revolution that will make states and legacy institutions less influential in the next couple decades. Both sides agreed, however, that the characteristics of IT use, multiple and simultaneous action, near instantaneous responses, mass organization across geographic boundaries, and technological dependence increase the potential for more frequent discontinuous change in the international system. Increased focus on equality and openness. Newly empowered citizens will demand equality, open access, transparency, and fairness. Authoritarian regimes, particularly, will face increasing pressures for greater accountability, openness, and citizen participation. Despite having some more powerful tools of their own, governments that fail to liberalize and open up are likely to face a losing battle. Growing gaps in income and wealth within countries and between countries and regions has been a side effect of the rapid economic transformation for some time. During the next 15 to 20 years, some of this gap will be reduced with the rise of a growing middle class, although income inequalities in many societies, both in the emerging and developed world, will remain large. Other forms of inequality will become increasingly important. First, owing to the likely growth of revenues dedicated to funding pensions, health care, and other entitlements in the West to care for aging populations, younger generations will feel a growing sense of intergenerational inequality. Second, the urban-rural divide, particularly in the rapidly developing world, will increase as the rising megacities become more important engines of regional and global growth. This may have an impact beyond the country in which the city is located. These new international cities will draw talent not only from the rest of the country, but also from less developed neighboring regions, complicating those regions' efforts to develop. Third, awareness of inequalities between different actors of society, in particular between average citizens and international private economic actors, will grow. The focus on inequality will be due to individual sense of the impacts of globalization in consolidating wealth at the top of the global distribution of wealth, whether individuals, families, or corporations. Many are likely to fear that this highly mobile layer will be exempt from the same economic, political, and social constraints that affect other citizens who are geographically constrained. Citizens will focus on misconduct and corruption of some of these actors as well as governance gaps that arise from offshore accounts, secrecy jurisdictions, and other aspects of the global taxation system. The themes of equality and fairness are likely to have an impact in the international arena as well. For some time, the emerging powers have called for a more democratic process for international relations, whereby the established powers are seen as setting the rules. Elites and publics in the emerging power countries believe the post-World War II international system has been skewed to favor the West, disputing Western perceptions of an open liberal order which has allowed emerging powers to prosper and rise. On the contrary, the impression of many of our interlocutors was that Quote, America's liberalism is selective and often in short supply, end quote. Examples cited include Western support for authoritarian regimes, a double standard toward states that acquire nuclear weapons, or actions that are perceived to undermine international law and human rights, particularly in the Middle East. Equality, openness, and fairness are not just values to be applied to domestic setups, but also pertain to the broader international order. New governmental forms. 
The political landscape will be much more complicated in 2030. Megacities and regional groupings are likely to assume increasing powers, whereas countries and global multilateral institutions will struggle to keep up with the rapid diffusion of power. Cities' growing political role and clout already exists, as witnessed by the growing number of networks of cities, increasing bilateral relationships between regions, and the role of cities in shaping policy debates and leading national and even global responses to governance challenges. The role of cities will be an even more important feature of the future as urban areas grow in wealth and economic power. In fact, McKinsey Global Institute calculates that by 2025, emerging market cities will have more higher-end middle-income households than developed ones. Increasingly, cities are likely to take the initiative on resource management, environmental standards, migration, and even security because of their critical importance to the welfare of urban dwellers. Already, many examples exist of grassroots innovation and creativity. In fact, within the territories of failed states, city and local governance structures are often the only ones that work. The growing calls for distributed governance networks and for legitimacy around different geographic and social contexts reinforce the importance of cities as actors within governance networks. Localism is unlikely to be an unqualified positive trend. Historically, large-scale corruption has been a feature of rapid urbanization. Badly managed urban settings have also been a cauldron for political and civil strife, including revolution. Too narrow a community or local focus will prevent coordination or investment around high-level and strategic responses. Two critical issues for the future of the urban role in helping to tackle global challenges will be whether coherence can be built into local approaches to global issues and whether cities will coordinate their efforts with broader country and regional mechanisms. Within a more decentralized system, sharing mechanisms, joint framing, and more integration in planning processes will be critical. A key uncertainty is the extent to which effective approaches will be built for sharing innovative approaches across different cities and localities, especially from emerging economies and slums where pressures create extraordinary environments for innovation. The extent to which learning and linking up can take place to create global movements of local groups and communities will be important in addressing global challenges. A new regional order? Economic trends, especially the likely growth of intra-regional trade, point to greater regional integration, suggesting the possibility of a world order built more around regional structures. Asia has made great strides in starting a process of regional institution building with a more diverse array of regional groups than anywhere else in the world. The scope will increase, especially for more functional groupings aimed at dealing with particular problems, such as environmental hazards, for example, rising sea levels, and trade and financial regulations as regional integration advances. It is less clear whether a regional collective security order can be established in Asia. Geopolitically, some Asian countries are drawn toward a Sinocentric system, whereas many others strongly oppose the expansion of Chinese influence. This diversity means that it is difficult for Asian countries to agree on an answer to the most basic of questions. What is Asia? The United States is a key factor in whether Asia will move toward greater integration. 
The U.S. has been influential elsewhere in encouraging regional multilateral institutions. China could be more reassuring and, in the event that it starts down the road of democracy, could be much more persuasive, particularly if Asians develop doubts about the credibility of the United States' staying power. Regional integration elsewhere will progress, but at varying speeds and more for specific functional purposes, which over time could further increase demand for more integration. Regions such as South Asia and the Middle East are unlikely to build regional cooperation to the point of dealing with difficult regional peace and security issues in the period out to 2030. Scenarios we asked experts to construct for both regions point to continuing geopolitical rivalry and distrust, even in the better cases. European integration, in the sense that Europe has succeeded in pooling sovereignty, is likely to remain the exception. Europe is increasingly not seen by other regions as a model for development. Global Multilateral Cooperation The current largely Western dominance of global structures, such as the UN Security Council, World Bank, and IMF, probably will have been transformed by 2030 to be more in line with the changing hierarchy of new economic players. Besides the large emerging powers like Brazil, India, who are not permanent UNSC members, and China has a veto in UNSC but not IMF voting rights commensurate with its economic power, many second-tier emerging powers will be making their mark, at least as emerging regional leaders, just as the larger G20 rather than G7-8 was energized to deal with the 2008 financial crisis, we expect that other institutions will be updated, most probably also in response to crises. Even if global institutions by 2030 better mirror the changing power setup, however, the degree to which they will have tackled growing global challenges is unclear. A difficult trade-off exists between legitimacy and efficiency, trying to ensure all the right countries are represented when a decision is taken, at the same time trying to keep the numbers down to facilitate decision-making. The growing multipolarity and diffusion of power will make the process of updating global institutions difficult. However, no reform would mean the increasing loss of legitimacy in the eyes of many publics in the emerging world. Governance will still be complicated by diversity and disparities between emerging and established powers, the growing clout of non-state actors, and increasing capacities of subnational actors such as megacities. Moreover, discordant values among many of the key players and lingering suspicions are likely to be the norm throughout this transitional period. Long-standing worries by emerging powers about incursions on sovereignty by more powerful Western actors are deeply embedded in popular as well as elite opinion and will only ease gradually as the emerging powers have to tackle growing transnational problems. China's recent movement away, for example, from strict non-interference toward greater involvement in peacekeeping and international military anti-piracy operations has surprised many observers. At the same time, China and many other emerging powers are likely to remain leery, if not hostile, to direct interference, including sanctions aiming at forcing changes in other regimes' behavior. A democratic China that might be more nationalistic would be equally concerned about ceding sovereignty to others. Future governance will not be either black or white, 
Advances cannot be ruled out despite growing multipolarity, increased regionalism, and possible economic slowdowns. Prospects for achieving progress on global challenges will also vary across issues. Technology and markets are likely to have a more important impact in reducing carbon emissions than efforts to negotiate any comprehensive or updated Kyoto-style agreement, the success of which looks questionable for the next decade or so. The expanded exploitation and use of cheaper and cleaner natural gas could overtake coal, resulting in significant emissions cuts for the U.S. and other big emitters such as China. Other technological advances in renewable technologies would also shift the debate on climate change by making mitigation efforts less burdensome on productivity. Such advances would also make a meaningful agreement to reduce carbon emissions more acceptable to both developing countries and the U.S., which worry that a carbon ceiling would impact economic growth prospects. Quote, future governance will not be either black or white. Advances cannot be ruled out despite growing multipolarity, increased regionalism, and possible economic slowdowns, end quote. The future of nuclear proliferation hinges on the outcome of North Korean and Iranian efforts to develop nuclear weapons. Iran's success, especially, could trigger an arms race in the Middle East, undermining the non-proliferation regime. On the other hand, if the international community prevails in its efforts to stop both of them, multilateral cooperation would be bolstered and the non-proliferation treaty strengthened. Similarly, use of nuclear weapons by state or non-state actors could either encourage or discourage proliferation, depending on how events unfolded. Increased great power convergence in combating the challenges of weak and failing states is conceivable, particularly when the interests of all the powers is at stake. For example, the G20 could be used to facilitate greater burden sharing among the major powers. With their large military manpower, emerging powers, including Brazil, India, and South Africa, have already played increasingly significant roles in supporting peacekeeping operations. Even China, a country that once criticized UN peacekeeping operations as interference with national sovereignty, now has more than 2,000 forces deployed. Coalitions of the willing, with the tacit acceptance or resignation of the other powers, may still be able to get the job done in some cases. Although there is broad international support for, quote, protecting populations from genocide, war crimes, ethnic cleansing, and crimes against humanity, end quote. The emerging powers may not want to take initiative in order to avoid the appearance of interference. Of course, this would allow others to take action, including the use of force. With increased communications and more active global public opinion, the great powers will have increasing difficulty avoiding action for humanitarian relief or suppression of genocide. The shared interests among the diverse collection of major countries mean that even if the best case is not achievable, multilateral and regional cooperation will not unravel completely. The recent example of the states avoiding 1930s-style protectionism despite the large-scale financial crisis in 2008 and prolonged recession for most Western economies is a case in point. On the other hand, the fact that no single nation or block of countries will have the political or economic leverage to drive the international community toward collective action means that continued multilateral advances will be difficult to forge. Given this paradox, the table on page 59 provides clues as to how governance outcomes for key global challenges would fare 
under either the best or worst case. Best and worst case outcomes for Global Challenges 2030. Challenge. Liberal trade economic coordination. Present status. Between 1980 and 2005, world GDP growth increased 32%, and world merchandise imports-exports increased more than sevenfold, but the Doha trade round has stalled. Worst case outcome. Prospects for current and future international trade rounds dim. Selective multilateralism or regional arrangements are more likely than open trading. Destabilizing trade imbalances make multilateral coordination difficult, but 1930s style protectionism is unlikely absent a system breakdown from other causes. Best case outcome. Concessions by both developed and emerging powers lead to agreement in the Doha round. The G20 role is solidified as the global forum for coordinated macroeconomic coordination. Challenge. Climate change. Present status. Annual meetings have failed to yield any new post-Kyoto comprehensive agreement. Worst case outcome. Global economic slowdown makes it impossible for the U.S., China, and other major emitters to reach meaningful agreement. The result leaves UN-sponsored climate negotiations in a state of collapse, with greenhouse gas emissions unchecked. Best case outcome. Cheaper and more plentiful natural gas make emissions target easier to achieve, but so-called two-degree target would be unlikely to be met. As disparities between rich and poor countries decrease, rising powers may be more prepared to make economic sacrifices. Challenge. Nuclear proliferation. Present status. Establishment and near-universal adoption of the Nuclear Non-Proliferation Treaty, NPT, has facilitated the emergence of a powerful international norm against nuclear proliferation. Unilateral action and military force has been employed to address noncompliance in some cases. Worst case outcome. Iran and North Korea trigger others' active interest in acquiring or developing nuclear weapons. Terrorists or extremist elements also acquire WMD material. The erosion in NPT spills over, potentially triggering a total breakdown of the international system. Best case outcome. Iran and North Korea are dissuaded from further WMD development. Terrorist groups do not acquire WMD. The West may need to extend the nuclear umbrella to those countries feeling threatened by proliferation. Challenge. Responsibility to protect. R2P. Present status. Multilateral efforts to prevent violent political repression have been sporadic and partially successful especially since the end of the Cold War. Worst case outcome. Western countries become increasingly isolated. The lack of international consensus prevents UNSC from acting to impose sanctions, authorize military force, or make referrals to the International Criminal Court. Facing political and economic constraints, the U.S. and Europe would only be capable of taking ad hoc actions to prevent atrocities. Best case outcome. Western engagement with India, Brazil, and other rising democracies would lead to greater consensus on R2P, particularly the basis for military intervention. Challenge. Failing states, ungoverned spaces. Present status. Multilateral efforts to date have been sporadic, spotty, and under-resourced. Most have focused on acute security threats. Worst case outcome. 
As a result of shrinking international commitments, criminal and terrorist networks flourish. UN and regional organizations find themselves further under-resourced to combat growing challenges. Resources in fragile states are squandered, adding to corruption and governance problems increase, increase in number of failed states. Best case outcome. Emerging powers see their interests threatened by failing states. With a growing consensus, the G20 facilitates burden sharing among major powers, the UN and regional groups. Regional organizations assume greater responsibilities for fragile states in their neighborhoods. Game Changer 3. The Potential for Increased Conflict Historical trends over the past two decades show fewer major armed conflicts and, where conflicts remain, fewer civilian and military casualties. Maturing age structures in many developing states point to the likelihood of continuing declines in the number of intrastate conflicts. In contrast, the chance of interstate conflict, including one that could draw in the great powers, although historically low, is rising. The great powers would not want to engage in interstate conflict because too much would be at stake. Their main objective is economic development, and they know that conflict could easily derail that. The nuclear context also makes the cost of war prohibitively high. Nevertheless, miscalculation by any one player remains a possibility. The globalizing environment over the past several decades, characterized by growing interdependence, could change, particularly as economic growth slows in many countries and the global economy becomes more volatile and potentially crisis-prone. In a more competitive atmosphere, great power conflict may not be inconceivable. Several regions, the Middle East and South Asia, appear particularly susceptible to outbreaks of large-scale violence despite the costs to themselves and others. Many experts also have hypothesized that growing resource constraints, combined with the possibility of increasing environmental degradation, may be a tipping point for societies already struggling and lead to greater intra- or interstate conflict. Finally, unlike during previous periods, large-scale violence is increasingly no longer the monopoly of the state. Individuals and small groups will have access to WMD and cyber instruments capable of causing massive harm and widespread disruption. Intrastate conflict continued decline. As we have noted since the 1970s, Roughly 80% of all armed civil and ethnic conflicts, with 25 or more battle-related deaths per year, have originated in countries with youthful age structures, a population with a median age of 25 years or less. Wherever civil and ethnic wars have emerged, they have tended to persist. The average intrastate conflict that began between 1970 and 1999, continued without a one-year break in battle-associated fatalities for about six years. Some, including the Angolan Civil War, Northern Ireland Troubles, Peru's War Against the Shining Path, and the Afghan Civil War, endured for decades. In contrast, interstate conflicts that began between 1970 and 1999 lasted, on average, less than two years. Beginning in the early 1990s, there was a marked expansion in size and number of peace support operations, PSOs, deployed in the aftermath of interstate conflicts. The PSOs appear to have dampened the persistence of some conflicts and prevented the reemergence of others. 
The proportion of youthful countries experiencing one or more violent intrastate conflicts declined from 25% in 1995 to 15% in 2005. Peacemaking and nation-building, despite public ambivalence about such efforts, has also helped to keep down casualties. Looking forward, the risk of intrastate conflict almost certainly will continue to decline in countries and regions with maturing age structures, median age above 25 years. Latin American countries and the Caribbean, with the exception of Bolivia, Guatemala, Haiti, and Paraguay, will be getting older and therefore lowering their risks. Similarly, the risk of intrastate conflicts will probably decline in continental East Asia, where many countries are aging quickly. However, the risk will remain high during the next two decades in western, central, and eastern portions of sub-Saharan Africa, in parts of the Middle East and South Asia, and in several Asian Pacific island hotspots. Timor-Leste, Papua New Guinea, Philippines, and Solomon Islands. Potential for Increased Conflict Type, Intrastate, Present Status The proportion of youthful countries experiencing one or more violent intrastate conflicts declined from 25% in 1995 to 15% in 2005. Trend line. The risk of intrastate conflict will continue to decline in countries and regions, such as Latin America and Asia, with maturing age structures, median age above 25 years. The risk will remain high over the next two decades in western, central, and eastern portions of sub-Saharan Africa, in parts of the Middle East and South Asia, and in several Asian Pacific island hotspots. Factors. Constrained natural resources such as water and arable land in many of the same countries that will have disproportionate levels of young men, particularly Sub-Saharan Africa, South Asia, and parts of the Middle East, increase the risks of intrastate conflict. Changes in character. Most intrastate conflict will be characterized by irregular warfare, terrorism, subversion, sabotage, insurgency, and criminal activities. However, the spread of precision weaponry, such as standoff missiles, may make some conflicts more like traditional forms of warfare. Type, interstate. Present status. Several interstate conflicts have occurred in the past decade, but the number is at a historical low. Trendline. New powers are rising, but they stand to benefit from the existing international order and are therefore status quo oriented. An increasing number of states has consciously or implicitly chosen to maintain military capabilities far below their inherent capabilities. Factors. A more fragmented international system increases the risks. Additionally, increased resource competition, spread of lethal technologies, and spillover from regional conflicts increase the potential for interstate conflicts. Changes in character. Future wars in Asia and the Middle East could include nuclear element. Information superiority will be increasingly vital. Proliferation of standoff missiles will increase the capacity of non-state actors. Distinction between regular and irregular forms of warfare may fade as some state-based militaries adopt irregular tactics. We need to be cautious about the prospects for a marked decline in the number and intensity of intrastate conflicts, however. First, such an outcome is probably dependent on continued global support for costly PSOs. Second, a gradual increase in intrastate conflict 
is occurring in countries with more mature country-level populations that contain a politically dissonant youthful ethnic minority. Strife involving ethnic Kurds in Turkey, Shia in Lebanon, and Patani Muslims in southern Thailand are examples of intrastate conflicts persisting in states that display an intermediate age structure, median age from about 25 to 35 years. A few of these conflicts have persisted after the country-level age structure turned mature, median age from 35 to 45 years. Examples include the Chechen conflict in southern Russia and the Northern Ireland Troubles. Looking forward, the potential in Sub-Saharan Africa for intrastate conflict is likely to remain high even after some of the region's countries graduate into a more intermediate age structure because of the probable large number of ethnic and tribal minorities who will remain much more youthful than various countries' overall populations. Moreover, constrained natural resources, such as water and arable land, in many of the same countries that will have disproportionate levels of young men increase the risks of intrastate conflict breaking out. An index of countries facing growing resource scarcities and environmental risks highlights many sub-Saharan African and South and East Asian countries, including India and China. Many of the wealthier countries are already dealing with the growing threats. However, a number of countries in these regions, Afghanistan, Bangladesh, Pakistan, and Somalia, also have faltering governance institutions, and they may not be able to cope with increasing environmental challenges and population pressures. End of section six. Recording by Patrick McAfee, Merritt Island.